0: Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Iris today. This is the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Monday, January 29th. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Let's turn to the front page of The Courier, where the lead story is titled, Reynolds Wades Into Border Tiff. Texas has, quote, right to self-defense at border, she says, in its clash with the U.S. government. This story was written by Caleb McCullough, of the Courier's Des Moines Bureau. And it begins with a photograph of migrants getting taken into custody by border patrol at the Texas-Mexico border on January 3rd in Eagle Pass, Texas. And we see a man carrying a baby and uh, standing in the water of the Rio Grande with rolls of razor wire behind him. Dateline, Des Moines. Governor Kim Reynolds joined two dozen other Republican governors on Thursday to give their support to Texas Governor Greg Abbott and the state's, quote, right to self-defense amid a clash between Abbott and President Joe Biden's administration over razor wire installed at the southern border. In the statement on Thursday, the governors skewered Biden for policies that they say have led to unprecedented illegal immigration pouring across the southern border. Unquote. The U.S. Supreme Court this week cleared the way for federal agents to cut the razor wire fencing set up by Abbott and Texas officials at the border. Abbott has since defended his right to continue using razor wire at the border and declared the influx of illegal border crossings an invasion. Quote, We stand in solidarity with our fellow governor, Greg Abbott, and the state of Texas in utilizing every tool and strategy, including razor wire fences, to secure the border, Reynolds and other governors said in the statement, we do it in part because the Biden administration is refusing to enforce immigration laws already on the books and is illegally allowing mass parole across America of migrants who entered our country illegally. Federal law generally reserves border enforcement to the federal government, but Abbott and other Republican governors have said he has authority under a section of the Constitution that allows states to use military action if actually invaded. Quote, because the Biden administration has abdicated its constitutional compact duties to the states. Texas has every legal justification to protect the sovereignty of our states and our nations, unquote. Reynolds and other Republican governors said. Abbott and other Republican governors have been challenging Biden on border enforcement for years, filing multiple lawsuits against the Biden administration and clashing over his border policies. In a statement on Wednesday, Abbott said Biden had failed to enforce the border laws and allowed record numbers of illegal border crossings. Quote, President Biden has refused to enforce those laws and has even violated them, Abbott said. Quote, the result is that he has smashed records for illegal immigration, unquote. In an interview on CNN on Thursday, White House spokesperson Karine Jean-Pierre, said Abbott was politicizing the situation at the border. She said the White House has been working on bipartisan legislation to improve border security. Quote, it's not making people's lives safer. It's actually making it harder for law enforcement at the border to do their job, she said. Quote, and so we have been very clear. We want to make sure we get something done at the border, unquote. Reynolds has deployed Iowa National Guard troops to the Texas border multiple times to aid in border enforcement. Most recently, more than 100 Iowa National Guard members were deployed last August as part of Operation Lone Star, a Texas mission to deter illegal border crossings. Removing gender identity from Iowa Civil Rights Act Proposed by Iowa House Republican. Story written by Aaron Murphy of the Lee Gazette Des Moines Bureau, Dateline Des Moines. The Iowa Civil Rights Act would be changed by removing gender identity as a protected class and by adding gender dysphoria to disabilities covered by the act under legislation that will be considered by state lawmakers next week at the Iowa Capitol. Created in 1965. The Iowa Civil Rights Act prevents discrimination based on identifying characteristics like age, race, color, religion, national origin, or disability. The Act was amended in 2007 to add sexual orientation and gender identity. A bill introduced by Iowa state lawmaker Jeff Shipley, a Republican from Birmingham, would remove gender identity, from the Iowa Civil Rights Act. Shipley's bill would instead add to the act's covered disabilities gender dysphoria, which the American Psychiatric Association defines as psychological distress that results when an individual has a gender identity that is different from their sex at birth. Advocates for transgender people expressed their vehement opposition to the proposal. Quote, Oh, it's horrible. I mean, it's going to hurt a lot of people," said Keenan Crow with the LGBTQ advocacy organization One Iowa. The proposed bill, House File 2082, would need to move through the Iowa House Judiciary Committee, which is chaired by Representative Steve Holt, a Republican from Denison. A 2020 proposal simply to remove gender identity from the Iowa Civil Rights Act, did not advance through Holt's committee that year. This time, Holt told the Register that he wants to hear the conversation around the new proposal from Shipley, calling it an interesting concept. Quote, I just want to hear a conversation about it. I want to have a subcommittee hearing and hear a conversation about it, Holt told the Des Moines Register. Quote, I still have concerns about this, but I at least want to have the conversation and see where it goes. The subcommittee hearing, the first step in Iowa's state lawmaking process, is scheduled for Wednesday at the Iowa Capitol. Iowa Representative Sammy Sheets, a Democrat from Cedar Rapids, who will represent his party in the subcommittee's legislative panel, said the proposal is terrible for multiple reasons, including the way the bill removes gender identity from the act's protections, but includes gender dysphoria among protected disabilities. Quote, first off, it's insulting, Sheets said, to characterize people who are non-binary and transgender as having a mental illness, essentially, which is what it does to say that they're disabled mentally from being themselves. I think it's just wrong, unquote. Sheets and Crow said the proposal likely would not provide the same legal protections to transgender Iowans as the current Civil Rights Act. Coe noted that not all transgender people are diagnosed with gender dysphoria. Quote, Being transgender and having gender dysphoria are two separate things. There are a decent amount of trans people that have gender dysphoria and a decent amount of trans people who don't have gender dysphoria, Crow said. So you're going to leave out that entire group of people who has no need for a diagnosis, unquote. Representative Jennifer Conferst, the leader of the minority party Democrats in the Iowa House, called the proposal hateful, unnecessary, and said there is a huge risk for unintended consequence. She said amending the Iowa Civil Rights Act in this way, would be, quote, the exact opposite of the spirit of who Iowans are and what Iowans want, unquote. House Republicans in the past two legislative sessions have passed a series of new laws impacting transgender and other LGBTQ Iowans, including a ban on gender transition treatments and surgeries for minors, a ban on the teaching of gender identity or sexual orientation, through the sixth grade, a ban on transgender students using K-12 school bathrooms that align with their gender identity, by requiring students to use the bathroom that aligns with their gender at birth, and a ban on transgender girls competing in girls' sports. Waterloo Man Admits Sex with Teen is Found Guilty. Story written by Jeff Reinitz and the dateline is Waterloo. A Waterloo community leader admitted he had sex with a 15-year-old girl, but he said the incident happened in Davenport, not at his home. Jamad Amal Salas, 43, took the stand in his own defense during testimony in his trial Thursday, hours before a jury found him guilty. The jury of 11 women and one man deliberated for about 30 minutes Thursday before convicting Salas of third-degree sexual abuse. Salas had been a community organizer, even earning special recognition from the city of Waterloo for his assistance during Black Lives Matter demonstrations and an appointment to a police department rebranding committee in 2020. As part of his job, he traveled to Devonport churches for choir practice on weekends. On the stand, between tears and long pauses, the girl said Salas had sex with her twice in Waterloo, at his home, and three times at hotels in Davenport in the summer of 2020. Quote, he made me feel comfortable, she said, describing Salas as not being an aggressive person. She said she was afraid to tell others about the relationship. Assistant County Attorney Heather Jackson said Salas had groomed the teen. Quote, he paid attention to her. Then he took advantage of her, Jackson said. Other witnesses testified the girl was at Salas' home regularly and often traveled with him to Davenport. The girl's mother said she didn't suspect a thing. Quote, I didn't think he would do anything like that, honestly, the mother told jurors. The teen later became pregnant, and test results showed a 99.999% probability that Salas is the father the highest probability of paternity available, according to an Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation DNA expert. Salas had denied having any sexual contact with the girl when first interviewed by police, and he told investigators the DNA results were fishy. But on the stand Thursday, Salas admitted to jurors he had sex with the girl while in Davenport. He denied having sex with her in Waterloo. Salas wasn't able to make the claim to jurors that the team threatened him into having sex, essentially a claim that she sexually abused him. That's because the judge ruled the compulsion defense isn't available for allegations concerning sexual abuse of minors. Salas offered more details of his account outside the presence of the jury during an evidentiary hearing. In that version, Salas said the girl had climbed on top of him while he was sleeping at a hotel during a trip to Davenport. Salas said he pushed her away, but she threatened to tell others that he raped her if he didn't comply, according to his account. He said he gave in because another girl had accused him of having sex with her, and he lost his standing in the church and suffered other repercussions. He didn't want it happening again, he said. Prosecutors deny the girl threatened or coerced Salas. Sentencing will be at a later date, and prosecutors are pursuing the case as a habitual offender crime because of Salas's prior criminal record, meaning he will face sentencing enhancements. Testimony at trial included information that Salas has 22 prior theft and forgery convictions, as well as a firearm conviction. Salas also is awaiting trial for allegations he had sexual contact with another girl. In addition, he was convicted of misdemeanor lascivious acts with a minor in August 2023 and is awaiting sentencing in that case. He was arrested this month for two counts of assault on an officer for allegedly fighting with a sheriff's deputy and a detention officer at the Black Hawk County Jail. Solace took the pro-police group Cedar Valley Backs the Blue and former city council member Margaret Klein to civil court over a 2021 political campaign mailer that branded him a predator. That case remains pending. Man Wanted in Mississippi Homicide Detained in Waterloo Story by Jeff Reinitz and begins with a photograph showing law enforcement arresting the fugitive Dexter White Jr. in Waterloo. Dateline Waterloo. Authorities in Waterloo arrested a man wanted for murder in Mississippi. Members of the U.S. Marshals Northeast Iowa Fugitive Task Force detained 28-year-old Dexter White Jr. on charges of capital murder and armed robbery on Thursday. White, formerly of Durant, Mississippi, is wanted for a 2017 homicide that claimed a life in Yazoo, Mississippi. In October, Waterloo police detectives found evidence that he was living in the Waterloo area. On Thursday morning, task force officers were able to pinpoint White's location in the 400 block of East Arlington Street. He was taken into custody around 2 p.m. as he stepped out of a home, according to officials, with the U.S. Marshal's Service. According to media accounts, the arrest stems from the slaying of Corey Thomas, who was found in his truck with gunshot wounds on Highway 432 in 2017. Another suspect in the crime, Doran Jones, was charged with capital murder, accessory before the fact and accessory after the fact, and arrested in 2017. White also was arrested in 2017, but apparently was released on bond and disappeared. Yazoo is a city of about 10,000 people north of Jackson, Mississippi. White had lived in the Waterloo area around 2011. The U.S. Marshals Service is the federal government's primary agency for fugitive investigations. Nationwide, 60 local task forces are dedicated to violent crime reduction by locating and apprehending wanted criminals. These task forces also serve as the central point for agencies to share information on fugitive matters. The Northern Iowa Fugitive Task Force comprises officers from the U.S. Marshal Service, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, Cedar Rapids Police Department, Waterloo Police Department, Marion Police Department, the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation, and the Iowa Department of Corrections. (laughs) Appeals Court Rules in Favor of the Courier in Defamation Case. Story written by Clark Kaufman of the Iowa Capitol Dispatch. The Iowa Courts of Appeals has let stand a judge's dismissal of a defamation lawsuit brought by the former city administrator of Davenport. The former administrator, Craig Mallon, sued the Iowa-based newspaper company Lee Enterprises and its Davenport paper, the Quad City Times, alleging that two of its writers had published articles in 2014 and 2015 that libeled him and intentionally interfered with his employment contract with the city. The district court granted Lee Enterprises summary judgment on the issue of libel, dismissing the claim without a trial. The contractual interference claim, however, proceeded to a jury trial where the jury ruled in favor of Lee and the Times. Malin appealed that decision, after which an appeals court panel affirmed the verdict. In 2019, however, the court proceedings involving the Quad City Times were ongoing, two other Lee publications, the Waterloo-Cedar Falls Courier and the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, printed editorials on the litigation under the heading Opinion. The editorials, one of which entitled Lawsuit Threatens to Put a Chill on Aggressive Reporting That Exposes Wrongdoing, stated that the Times had published a series of damning reports in 2015, exposing involvement by Malin and Davenport's former city attorney, in the advancement of taxpayer-funded groundwork for a future casino project. Malin then sued Lee Enterprises, along with the Waterloo and St. Louis newspapers, for defamation, invasion of privacy, unjust enrichment, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and negligent hiring, training, and supervision the district court eventually granted the defendant's request for summary judgment in the case, triggering an appeal by Malin. On Wednesday, the Iowa Courts of Appeals upheld the district court's decision without addressing Malin's constitutional claim, stating that particular claim had not been preserved because Malin never developed the argument in court. In ruling against Malin, the appeals court said all of Malin's claims were rooted in inextricably intertwined with his defamation claim. The court noted that the Waterloo and St. Louis pieces were specifically presented to the public as editorials, not as news articles. As for Malin's complaint that the publications inaccurately described the groundwork for the casino project as taxpayer-funded, the court found that, quote, the gist of the publication statements on that point were true because the casino development was to be funded by bonds that would be repaid by tax revenue generated by the project. Mellon said Wednesday he plans to appeal the Iowa Court of Appeals decision specifically with regard to the finding that he had not preserved his constitutional claim. Oh. Now we turn the page and find the Week in Iowa section. Attorney. Geofencing used in betting investigation. In the news, an attorney for two former Iowa State University football players charged with sports betting violations said Iowa investigators used geofencing software on at least one public campus, amounting to a warrantless search that invaded student privacy. The claims come after a deposition of Special Agent Brian Sanger, who defense attorneys say violated players' privacy. More than a dozen Iowa athletes were charged last year in a state division of criminal investigation probe into illegal sports betting on Iowa campuses. The attorney who made the motion asked a Story County judge to force state agencies to turn over documents related to the investigation. A.G. pitches penalties for police assault. Iowa Attorney General Brenna Byrd is proposing a bill to increase the penalties for a person who assaults a law enforcement officer, firefighter, healthcare worker, or other protected professional. Byrd said the current laws are too lenient, and she said she believes raising the penalties would lead to fewer assaults bill would mandate national anthem. Iowa Republican lawmakers advanced a bill this week that would require public school students to sing the national anthem every day. Students would also be required to learn about the words and history of the anthem and how to, quote, love, honor, and respect the anthem. School officials said the bill was an unnecessary mandate. Under odds and ends, property tax audit, Iowa State Auditor Rob Sand said this week that low- and middle-income Iowans are paying higher property taxes compared with wealthier Iowans. Sand released a report on the data, which he said was to inform lawmakers for future tax policy proposals and crisis pregnancy centers. A bill proposed by House Republicans would make it easier for the state to funnel $2 million to crisis pregnancy centers that discourage abortion. While the state has had trouble finding an administrator for the program, the bill would allow the state to administer it directly. Abortion rights advocates said the centers are unlicensed and unaccountable, and they don't have the same rules around patient privacy that medical clinics do. Now, in the water cooler column, Iowa Teen Dies. A 13-year-old Animosa boy died this week as a result of injuries sustained in a sledding accident earlier this month. Adam McWhirter crossed over a road while sledding and was struck by an SUV on January tenth, the authorities said. Next, Reynolds backs Texas. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds joined two dozen other Republican governors this week who signaled their support for Texas Governor Greg Abbott's defiance of President Joe Biden's administration and the U.S. Supreme Court over razor wire set up at the southern border. The governor said Texas has a right to self-defense under the Constitution and that Biden had failed to secure the border. The Supreme Court this week cleared the way for border patrol agents to cut the razor wire at the border. The next column is titled In the News. Bill would strip civil rights protections for gender identity. A bill that will receive first consideration in the Iowa House next week would remove gender identity protections from the Civil Rights Code, effectively stripping transgender Iowans of protections against discrimination. The bill would also add gender dysphoria to the definition of disability under the Civil Rights Code. LGBTQ rights activists said the bill would allow for discrimination against transgender people and that defining gender dysphoria as a disability is insulting and incorrect. The Republican chair of the committee said he has some concerns but wanted to have a conversation about the proposal. Bill would bar traffic quotas. Iowa lawmakers are considering a bill that would ban state and local law enforcement agencies from instituting quotas for traffic stops. State law already bars quotas for citations, but the law would extend to prohibit quotas on traffic stops, regardless of if a citation is issued. Henson endorses Trump. Iowa Representative Ashley Henson, who represents Northeast Iowa's 2nd Congressional District, endorsed Donald Trump in the Republican presidential primary a week after the Iowa caucuses. She is the first and only Iowa U.S. representative or senator to endorse a presidential candidate. Mudd names Diane Gagnier Vice President of Strategy and Business Development, Dateline Cedar Falls. Mud Advertising has appointed Diane T. Gagnier, as Vice President of Strategy and Business Development for its OEM Partnership Division. With over 25 years of automotive OEM experience, Gagnier's business expertise will enhance the capabilities and focus of the MUD team. In her recent position at Stellantis, she played a pivotal role in managing and expanding dealer market center operations. Which is part of FCA US LLC sales operations. As the Vice President of Strategy and Business Development, Gagnier will focus on transformative, value driven business development strategies to m- optimize capacity and ensure the highest return on investment for MUD Advertising and its OEM clients and strategic partners. Gagnier earned a master's degree in business from Central Michigan University, a bachelor's degree in liberal arts from Wayne State University, and an associate's degree in legal assistance from Macomb Community College. Quote, We are excited to welcome Diane to our team, said Jim Mudd Jr., CEO of Mudd Advertising. Quote, Her extensive experience and operational expertise Working for an automotive OEM make her a valuable addition to MUD advertising. We recognize the opportunity to leverage Diane's high caliber of expertise as the MUD team continues to work to grow, innovate, and maximize marketing strategies that will optimize our dealer clients ad spend. Residing in Detroit, Michigan, Metro area, Gagnier's appointment was effective January 2nd. Mud Advertising is a leading full-service automotive marketing and advertising agency specializing in both traditional and digital media. And now, listeners, at this time we'd just like to remind you that you're listening to the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Monday, January 29th on IRIS, that's I-R-I-S, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the blind and the print handicapped. Now, this announcement. If you're struggling with your mental health, there's something Your Life Iowa wants you to know. It's all right to feel sad, to be angry, to feel depressed, to be anxious, to feel lonely. Something else that's definitely all right? Getting help for your mental health. When you're ready, Your Life Iowa is here for you 24-7. Find support at yourlifeiowa.org. Together, we can make everything all right. Brought to you by the Iowa Department of Public Health. Continuing now with local news from The Courier, ban on traffic stop quotas advances. Measure could close loophole in current ban on having ticket quotas. Story written by Tom Barton of The Courier's Des Moines Bureau. Dateline, Des Moines. State and local law enforcement agencies would be prohibited from instituting quotas for traffic stops by peace officers under legislation being advanced in the Iowa House. Current law prohibits communities and law enforcement agencies from imposing a quota on the number of citations issued by officers. House File 2010, specifies that the law would also apply to imposing a requirement on the number of times officers stop vehicles for alleged traffic violations, regardless of whether a citation is issued. The American Civil Liberties Union of Iowa and Iowa Association for Justice, which represents Iowa's trial lawyers, were registered in favor of the bill. Kelly Paskey, a lobbyist representing the Iowa Peace Officers Association, said the organization was registered undecided, but generally supportive of the bill. Quote, We fully support officer discretion, and any type of quota that requires us to pull over a certain number of people or issue a certain number of tickets, which is already prohibited in Iowa, brings us concern about true enforcement responsibilities, Paschke told lawmakers. Quote, we like to pull over people who are actually breaking the law and not getting to certain number of responses or interactions. Unquote. A three-member subcommittee voted unanimously to advance the bill to the full House Public Safety Committee. Quote, we shouldn't have quotas," said Representative Ako Abdul Samad, a Democrat from Des Moines. Quote, "I think it puts an undue burden on police officers." and it also causes individuals to make some different choices depending on different ethnic groups, unquote. Formal and informal quota systems by law enforcement agencies in other parts of the country have been shown over time to damage civilians' trust in law enforcement and have also been connected to racially biased enforcement. Civil rights and racial justice advocates argue a quota may be an implied prod for police officers to increase their activity and can be a prelude to ensnarement by individuals of minority groups in the legal system or the beginning of a fatal police interaction. The bill states local governments and state agencies, quote, shall not order, mandate, require, or in any other manner, directly or indirectly, suggest to a police officer that they stop a certain number of persons committing an alleged traffic violation or issue a certain number of traffic citations, police citations, memoranda of traffic violations, or memoranda of faulty equipment on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, or yearly basis, Quote, it's a good clarification for existing law said Representative Bill Gustaf, a Republican from Des Moines. <laughs> now here's a wedding anniversary celebration. This is Dateline Raymond. Don and Marion Peters are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. They were married on January 26, 1974, at St. Mary's Catholic Church in Wacoma. Don is retired from John Deere Tractor Works and Marion is a homemaker. They have four children, Mike, married to Jennifer Peters of Cedar Falls, Doug, spouse Stephanie Peters of Dunkerton, Kelly, spouse Joe Byersmith of Marion, and Amy, spouse Brandon Burke of Ankeny. They have seven grandchildren. A family dinner and summer vacation are planned. Cedar Falls panel OK's Oster Land Subdivision. City Council has final word on updated plat. Story filed by Andy Malone. And Cedar Falls is the dateline. More land owned by Oster Partners, LLC continued through the planning process Wednesday for commercial development in the area known as Pinnacle Prairie along Viking Road. Oster Partners, an enterprise of businessman Merrill Oster, earned a favorable recommendation from the Planning and Zoning Commission, allowing 3.6 acres, approved in 2012 as Lot 3, of the Pinnacle Prairie Commercial South Phase 2 subdivision to be subdivided into three smaller commercial lots. The subdivision sits across the street from Menards, 1125 Brandy Lynn Boulevard, and between East Viking Road, in Brandyland Boulevard the commission voted 6 to 0 in favor of the new plat three commission seats were vacant the city council has final say and could take up the matter as soon as February 5th if the plan receives final plat approval the land could be sold but a construction can only proceed if both the commission and council approve site plans at the three sites zoned highway commercial or Highway-1. The proposed subdivision is called Pinnacle Prairie Commercial South Phase 6, comprised of 1.55 acres to the north and two lots of 1.11 and 0.95 acres to the south. Oster Partners owns the 3.6 acres with another company offshoot, Green Hill Estates, and in 2021, had the 3.5 acres immediately to the west subdivided into four smaller lots known as Pinnacle Prairie Commercial South Phase 5. This is very similar to Pinnacle Prairie Commercial South Phase 5, said planner Thomas Weintraut. Two of those lots have since been developed. A branch of Viridian Credit Union is at 1050 Brandy Lynn Boulevard, and Unity Point Clinic is at 1000 Brandyland Boulevard. Oster Partners and Green Hill Estates are working in partnership with developer LMM Investment, LLC, represented by Steve Lettness, as part of the development of the three proposed lots making up the 3.6 acres. Their engineer is Larry Kusman with Clapsaddle Garber Associates, in Cedar Falls. Decades ago, Oster's firm, Parkade Properties, quote, bought and renovated 100,000 square feet of office space, stimulating a dramatic rebirth of Main Street in Cedar Falls, states the Pinnacle Prairie website, quote, these days, Pinnacle Prairie, a 720-acre real estate development in Cedar Falls, enjoys his focus and vision, unquote. Commissioners voiced no objections, but they had some questions about the proposal. Quote, as we're adding more density to this area, that intersection along East Viking is getting busier. At what point do we do another traffic study to make sure that we're okay there with just the stop sign? Asked Commissioner Kristen Mosher. She was referring to the nearby Prairie Parkway and Viking Road intersection to the west. Officials noted a roundabout is being designed at that location to control traffic flow. Commissioner Alan Stallnaker inquired about ensuring the necessary public infrastructure is installed. The sidewalk must be extended the entire length of the proposed northern lot along Brandy Lynn Boulevard. Quote, it's a typical city policy that anytime a lot is platted that it Either has a sidewalk installed with the development or within five years if no development happens, said Weintraut. We have a trail along Viking Road, so in this case, the only sidewalk along a public street is the one along Brandy Lynn. A water main extension along the south side will be installed with a surety bond agreement in place to give assurance to the community that it will get installed said Planning and Community Services Manager Karen Howard. Quote, It wasn't installed originally because there wasn't a need for a water main there because it was just one lot, she said, in reference to the subdivision approved in 2012. To the east of the new subdivision would be an easement for stormwater infrastructure. Quote, This whole system goes into that outlet and then it goes under Viking Road and then there's a big lot to the south. This was all part of a regional detention area for this site, said Weintrout. New private drives in the proposed subdivision would connect perpendicularly to the two private drives in the neighboring subdivision with the Viridian Branch and Unity Point Health Clinic. That would provide another access point north to Brandy Lynn Boulevard. <laughs> Second School Resource Officer Proposal on the Table in Cedar Falls Story written by Andy Malone, Dateline Cedar Falls A proposal to add a second school resource officer for Cedar Falls schools is under discussion. The idea was broached during separate public forums this week and last by City Council Member Chris Lada and Board of Education President Lowell Stutzman. It will ultimately be a budgetary decision falling to the city council. The Public Safety Department hires and assigns the officer to the school. The city has had one school resource officer since the mid-1990s, according to Public Safety Director Greg Bertie. The first was Ann Miller. Bertie proposed in December that a second armed officer be included in the fiscal year 2025 budget after discussions with Superintendent Andy Patty. The budget must be approved by April 30th. Quote, They're talking about wanting another potential school resource officer when the new high school gets up there, Bertie previously told the council in reference to the new building opening on West 27th Street in the fall. Quote, They'd like one for just the high school, he added, as the new building isn't as centrally located near other schools as the current one is on Division Street. The December proposal came several weeks before the deadly Perry Middle School shooting on January 4th that ultimately led to three deaths, a student and the principal there, as well as the high school student who opened fire before killing himself. A simple majority of council appears to initially support the proposition. Based on communication with members, the courier contacted. There were no outright objections. Latta strongly supports the plan. Quote, I'd like to see that position a priority. I don't think that's even remotely acceptable coverage for a city of this size, said Latta in December. Waterloo has several resource officers in schools, according to Bertie. Latta pushed the idea again on January 15th, following the shooting over 100 miles away, to see if there were anything we can do to expedite that so that potentially we could have somebody up and ready to go by the time at least next school year starts, Bertie said the officer could be ready to go by the fall if approved. The cost of an additional officer is approximately $120,000 for salary and benefits. The district contributes about $24,000 to the cost for the position currently held by Lysel Ramers, according to Bertie. If the second officer is approved, that contribution would likely change as part of new cost-sharing agreement for two officers, costing approximately $240,000. A school resource officer is a 40-hour-per-week police position, of which nine months is spent exclusively in the schools, working and interacting with administrators, parents, students, and teachers. Bertie anticipates the officer being an internal hire. At the Monday school board meeting, Stutzman inquired about what it might take financially to add another officer. Superintendent Andy Patti acknowledged having had talks the last several years about expanding the program. Duties extend well beyond being on call for an emergency, Jill White, Executive Director of Student Services, pointed out. Quote, we keep her very busy. She goes and actually does teaching at all of our elementary schools to help build relationships with students and do some lessons on safety, said White. Right now, The officer covers the high school area, seven elementary schools, two middle schools, and an alternative school. She helps out at St. Patrick Catholic School and Valley Lutheran School, too. Valley Lutheran leadership has approached the city about contributing to the cost and having an officer with a greater role at its school, said Bertie. Quote, I don't know of there to be any negatives to having another one, said Council Member Darryl Cruz when reached by telephone. Quote, it will be a budget item, of course. That officer is a deterrent to hopefully prevent something bad from happening if a bad actor knows we have that peacekeeper, unquote. He acknowledged that his analytical side will be open to hearing about everything having to be said on the subject, but confirmed he thinks it'll be a really good investment, unquote. Council Member Aaron Hawbaker is on the other side of the fence. Quote, after looking at the literature, and I've only done a cursory review, I have to dig deeper to see if there's actually a correlation to safety, said Hawbaker. Quote, what are you getting for that additional officer? Maybe there are other measures we could take, like at buildings, better controlling people who come in and out, unquote. He also wants to hear more about any potential detrimental effects on education to having another officer present. Quote, I need a further articulation of the problem, too, Hawbaker added. We've unfortunately had school shootings for years. (laughs) Waterloo School Board Approves Contract for HVAC Upgrade at Administration Building. Story written by Angela Sturm McGoughlin. Line Waterloo. A new heating, ventilation, and air conditioning system will be installed in the Education Service Center at a cost of $1.48 million. The Board of Education Monday approved a contract with Peters Construction Corporation of Waterloo. Work on the Waterloo Community Schools Administration Building at 1516 Washington Street is scheduled to begin in May. In December, the board approved the pre-purchase of two train air handling units for the building at a cost of $51,375 to ensure the equipment would be delivered in time for the project's start. The scope of the project includes updates to the heating and cooling equipment throughout the building along with the necessary electrical distribution updates required to support the new system. The administration building was constructed in 1964. Zach Kelly, the District's Director of Operational Services, said Monday the existing ventilation system is original to the building. In other business, the Board approved submitting an application to the state's School Budget Review Committee for $4.1 million in budget authority to fund programs during 2024-25 for students who are academically at risk or returning to school after dropping out. That represents a 3.5% increase in funding from the current year. The Budget Authority, funded through property taxes, would be part of a $5.46 million set-aside for 10 programs from Expo Alternative Learning Center to credit recovery, intensive guidance, and supports, and after-school programs. The remaining money would come through a 25% match of $1.37 million in state aid and property tax dollars. The district will receive another $576,290 in supplemental funding for the programs through a formula involving the percentage of its students from low- and moderate-income families. Cedar Falls School Board Seeking Bids for Summer Roofing Projects Story Written by Angela Sturm McLaughlin Dateline Cedar Falls The Board of Education this week approved plans and specifications for two summer roofing projects with an estimated cost of $311,100. The Board authorized seeking bids on the projects, replacing a portion of the roofs at Cedar Heights and Orchard Hill Elementary Schools. The projects will be funded with physical plant and equipment levy revenues. At Cedar Heights, a 10,844-square-foot roof would be replaced at an estimated cost of $240,000. The 1,060-square-foot roof at Orchard Hill would be replaced at an estimated cost of $35,000. Terracon Consultants, Incorporated of Cedar Falls, is providing design services on the projects at an estimated cost of $36,100. A public hearing is planned on the projects at a future meeting. Beds will be opened February 15th and the contract awarded February 26th. Construction is expected to start the week of June 3rd and be completed by August 1st. In other business, the Board approved submitting an application to the state's School Budget Review Committee for $1.05 million in budget authority to fund programs during 2024-25 for students who are academically at risk or returning to school after dropping out. The request for budget authority, funded through property taxes, requires a 25% match of $351,541 in Cedar Falls Community Schools' state aid and property tax dollars. Officials have identified 1,015 students as potential dropouts or returning dropouts who would be served by the funded programs. Lowell Stutzman, board president, asked about the possibility of adding another school resource officer to serve district buildings during the discussion. Superintendent Andy Patti said officials are exploring ways to fund a second officer with the Cedar Falls Police Department. (laughs) And now let's read the Metro Briefs column, Rough Risers Set Program, Dateline Cedar Falls. Upcoming Cedar Falls Kiwanis Club Rough Risers Morning Programs will educate attendees about the library, business, and human trafficking. On February 14th, current and future projects at the Cedar Falls Public Library, and the presenter is Director Kelly Stern. On February 28th, challenges involving a small business. Presenter is Jessica Foster from Moment in Time Catering. On March 13th, human trafficking. Presenter is Dave Gorman, an Iowa State Highway Patrol Officer. Visitors are welcome to attend. The Rough Risers meet at 6.30 a.m. every Wednesday at the First Christian Church at 1302 West 11th Street. Next, UNI's Bryant recognized. Cedar Falls. The Additive Manufacturing Division of the American Foundry Society Technical Council has selected Nathaniel Bryant, Assistant Project Manager of the University of Northern Iowa Metal Casting Center and Foundry 4.0 Centers as its winner of the 2024 Technical Achievement Award. Bryant will receive the award on April 23rd during the Volunteer Leadership Awards Luncheon at the 128th Metal Casting Congress in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Bryant earned his master's degree in technology in 2019 from the UNI, where he graduated as a Foundry Educational Foundation Scholar. He is currently pursuing his doctoral degree in education from UNI. Most of his published work pertains to the advancement of Industry 4.0 technology for the Foundry industry, specifically additive manufacturing and the industrial Internet of Things. Next, Tax preparation assistance is available. AARP Foundation Tax Aid will provide free tax preparation assistance and electronic filing in Waterloo and Cedar Falls. Appointments can be scheduled by phone or online for in-person assistance through the tax season. The service is geared toward assisting seniors and households on limited incomes. The free tax service will be offered at three locations, and they are The Salvation Army at 207 Logan Avenue in Waterloo, Westminster Presbyterian Church at 1301 Kimball Avenue in Waterloo, and at First United Methodist Church at 718 Clay Street in Cedar Falls. To schedule an appointment or for more information, call area code 319 334 1019. Calls are answered Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Taxpayers can also schedule appointments online at www.vccv.org. Appointment scheduling is provided by volunteers with the Retired Senior Volunteer Program, a project of the Volunteer Center of Cedar Valley and Jamaica Day asking for vendors. Dateline Waterloo. The Waterloo Center for the Arts invites vendors to register for the upcoming Jamaica Day celebration. In partnership with the cities of Waterloo and Cedar Falls, the Arts Center at 225 Commercial Street will hold the celebration from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. on February 23rd. Waterloo and its new sister city, Morant Bay of St. Thomas Parish, Jamaica, invites people to a day of discussion, vendors, Caribbean cuisine, and live performances. The admission is free. School organizations and businesses that serve the Cedar Valley with cultural activities are invited to attend. Booth Setup takes place from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m., with the program starting at 9 a.m., and the vendor fair beginning at 10 a.m. Tables must be staffed from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And now, listeners, that's going to do it for today's reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Monday, January 29th. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Remember, you can listen to a recording of today's reading of the Courier or of the other newspapers around the state that we read. Just visit our website iowaradioreading.org at any time. And we want to thank you for listening to your IRIS, Iowa's first and only radio reading service.